Chapter Fourteen of Beverly of Graustark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patricia Rutledge of Yorba Linda, California. Beverly of Graustark by George Barr McCutcheon. Chapter Fourteen. A visit and its consequences. That same afternoon, Baldos, blissfully ignorant of the stir he had created in certain circles, rode out for the first time as a member of the castle guard. He and Haddon were detailed by Colonel Quinnox to act as private escort to Miss Calhoun until otherwise ordered. If Haddon thought himself wiser than Baldos in knowing that their charge was not the princess, he was very much mistaken. If he enjoyed the trick that was being played on his fellow guardsmen, his enjoyment was as nothing as compared to the pleasure Baldos was deriving from the situation. The royal Victoria was driven to the fortress, conveying the supposed princess and the Countess Dagmar to the home of Count Marlanx. The two guards rode bravely behind the equipage, resplendent in brilliant new uniforms. Baldos was mildly surprised and puzzled by the homage paid the young American girl. It struck him as preposterous that the entire population of Idlewise could be in the game to deceive him. "'Who is the princess's companion?' he inquired of Haddon, as they left the castle grounds. "'The Countess Dagmar, cousin to her highness. She is the wife of Mr. Anguish.' "'I have seen her before,' said Baldos, a strange smile on his face. "'The Countess Dagmar found it difficult at first to meet the eye of the new guard, "'but he was so punctiliously oblivious that her courage was restored. "'She even went so far as to whisper in Beverly's ear that he did not remember her face, "'and probably would not recognize Yetive as one of the eavesdroppers.' The princess had flatly refused to accompany them on the visit to the fortress, because of Baldos. Struck by a sudden impulse, Beverly called Baldos to the side of the vehicle. Baldos, you behaved very nicely yesterday in exposing the duplicity of those young women, she said. I am happy to have pleased your highness, he said steadily. It may interest you to know that they ceased to be ladies-in-waiting after that exposure. "'Yes, Your Highness. It certainly is interesting,' he said, as he fell back into position beside Haddon. During the remainder of the ride he caught himself time after time, gazing reflectively at the back of her proud little head, possessed of an almost uncontrollable desire to touch the soft brown hair. "'You can't fool that excellent young man much longer, my dear,' said the Countess, recalling the look in his dark eyes." The same thought had been afflicting Beverly with its probabilities for twenty-four hours and more. Count Marlanx welcomed his visitors with a graciousness that awoke wonder in the minds of his staff. His marked preference for the American girl did not escape attention. Some of the bolder young officers indulged in surreptitious grimaces, and all looked with more or less compassion upon the happy-faced beauty from over the sea. 
Marlanx surveyed Baldos steadily and coldly, deep disapproval in his sinister eyes. He had not forgotten the encounter of the day before. "'I see the favorite is on guard,' he said blandly. "'Has he told you of the lesson in manners he enjoyed last night?' He was leading his guests toward the quarters, Baldos and Haddon following. The new guard could not help hearing the sarcastic remark. "'You didn't have him beaten,' cried Beverly, stopping short. "'No, but I imagine it would have been preferable. I talked with him for half an hour,' said the general, laughing significantly. When the party stopped at the drinking fountain in the center of the fort, Baldos halted nearby. His face was as impassive as marble, his eyes set straight before him, his figure erect and soldierly. An occasional sarcastic remark by the iron count, meant for his ears, made no impression upon the deadly composure of the new guard who had had his lesson. Miss Calhoun was conscious of a vague feeling that she had served Baldos an ill turn when she put him into this position. The Count provided a light luncheon in his quarters after the ladies had gone over the fortress. Beverly Calhoun, with all of a woman's indifference to things material, could not but see how poorly equipped the fort was as compared to the ones she had seen in the United States. She and the Countess visited the armory, the arsenal, and the repair shops before luncheon, reserving the pleasures of the clubhouse, the officers' quarters, and the parade ground until afterwards. Count Marlanx's home was in the southeast corner of the enclosure, near the gates. Several of the officers lunched with him and the young ladies. Marlanx was assiduous in his attention to Beverly Calhoun, so much so, in fact, that the Countess teased her afterwards about her conquest of the old and well-worn heart. Beverly thought him extremely silly and sentimental, much preferring him in the character of the harsh, implacable martinet. At regular intervals, she saw the straight, martial form of Baldos pass the window near which she sat. He was patrolling the narrow piazza which fronted the house. Toward the close of the rather trying luncheon, she was almost unable to control the impulse to rush out and compel him to relax that imposing machine-like stride. She hungered for a few minutes of the old-time freedom with him. The Iron Count was showing her some rare antique bronzes he had collected in the south. The luncheon was over, and the Countess had strolled off toward the bastions with the young officers, leaving Beverly alone with the host. Servants came in to clear the tables, but the Count harshly ordered them to wait until the guests had departed. "'It is the dearest thing I have seen,' said Beverly, holding a rare old candlestick at arm's length, and looking at it in as many ways as the wrist could turn. Her loose sleeves and ju just below the elbows. The Count's eyes followed the graceful curves of her white forearm with an eagerness that was annoying. I prize it more dearly than any other piece of my collection, he said. It came from Rome. It has a history which I shall try to tell you some day, and which makes it almost invaluable. A German nobleman offered me a small fortune if I would part with it. And you wouldn't sell it? I was saving it for an occasion, your highness, he said, his steely eyes glittering. 
the glad hour has come when i can part with it for a recompense far greater than the baron's gold oh isn't it lucky you kept it she cried then she turned her eyes away quickly for his gaze seemed greedily endeavouring to pierce through the lace insertion covering her neck and shoulders outside the window the steady tramp of the tall guard went on monotonously the recompense of a sweet smile a tender blush and the unguarded thanks of a pretty woman the candlestick is yours miss calhoun if you will repay me for my sacrifice by accepting it without reservation slowly beverly calhoun set the candlestick down upon the table her eyes meeting his with steady disdain what a rare old jester you are count marlanx she said without a smile if i thought you were in earnest i should scream with laughter may i suggest that we join the countess we must hurry along you know she and i have promised to play tennis with the princess at three o'clock the count's glare of disappointment lasted but a moment the diplomacy of egotism came to his relief and he held back the gift for another day but not for another woman it grieves me to have you hurry away my afternoon is to be a dull one unless you permit me to watch the tennis game he said i thought you were only interested in the game of war she said pointedly i stand in greater awe of a tennis ball than i do of a cannon-ball if it is sent by such an arm as yours and he not only laid his eyes but his hand upon her bare arm she started as if something had stung her and a cold shiver raced over her warm flesh his eyes for the moment held her spellbound he was drawing the hand to his lips when a shadow darkened the french window and a sabre rattled warningly count marlanx looked up instantly a scowl on his face baldos stood at the window in an attitude of alert attention Beverly drew her arm away spasmodically and took a step toward the window. The guard saw by her eyes that she was frightened, but if his heart beat violently, his face was the picture of military stoniness. "'What are you doing there?' snarled the Count. "'Did your Highness call?' asked Baldos coolly. "'She did not call, fellow,' said the Count with deadly menace in his voice." Report to me in half an hour. You still have something to learn, I see. Beverly was alarmed by the threat in his tones. She saw what was in store for Baldos, for she knew quite as well as Marlanx that the guard had deliberately intervened in her behalf. He cannot come in half an hour, she cried quickly. I have something for him to do, Count Marlanx. Besides, I think I did call. Both men stared at her. "'My ears are excellent,' said Marlanx stiffly. "'I fancy Baldos's must be even better, for he heard me,' said Beverly, herself once more. The shadow of a smile crossed the face of the guard. "'He is impertinent, insolent, your highness. "'You will report to me tomorrow, sir, at nine o'clock in Colonel Quinnix's quarters. "'Now go,' commanded the Count. "'Wait a minute, Baldos.' we are going out too will you open the window for me baldos gladly took it as a command and threw open the long french window 
She gave him a grateful glance as she stepped through, and he could scarcely conceal the gleam of joy that shot into his own eyes. The dark scowl on the Count's face made absolutely no impression on him. He closed the window and followed ten paces behind the couple. "'Your guard is a priceless treasure,' said the Count, grimly. "'That's what you said about the candlestick,' she said sweetly. She was disturbed by his threat to reprimand Baldos. For some time her mind had been struggling with what the Count had said about the lesson. It grew upon her that her friend had been bullied and humiliated, perhaps in the presence of spectators. Resentment fired her curiosity into action. While the general was explaining one of the new gun carriages to the countess, Beverly walked deliberately over to where Baldus was standing. Haddon's knowledge of English was exceedingly limited, and he could understand but little of the rapid conversation. Standing squarely in front of Baldos, she questioned him in low tones. "'What did he mean when he said he had given you a lesson?' she demanded. His eyes gleamed merrily. "'He meant to alarm your highness. Didn't he give you a talking to? He coached me in ethics. "'You're evading the question, sir. Was he mean and nasty to you? Tell me. I want to know.' "'Well,' He said things that a soldier must endure. A civilian or an equal might have run him through for it, your highness. A flush rose to his cheeks, and his lips quivered ever so slightly. But Beverly saw and understood. Her heart was in her eyes. That settles it, she said rigidly. You are not to report to him at nine tomorrow. But he will have me shot, your highness, said he gladly. He will do nothing of the kind. You are my guard. And her eyes were gleaming dangerously. Then she rejoined the group, the members of which had been watching her curiously. Count Marlinx, she said, with entrancing dimples. Will you report to me at nine tomorrow morning? I have an appointment, he said, slowly but with understanding. "'But you will break it, I am sure,' she asserted confidently. "'I want to give you a lesson in—in in lawn tennis.' Later on, when the Victoria was well away from the fort, Dagmar took her companion to task for holding in public friendly discourse with a member of the guard, whoever he might be. "'It is altogether contrary to custom, and—' But Beverly put her hand over the critical lips and smiled like a guilty child. Now, don't scold, she pleaded, and the countess could go no further. The following morning, Count Marlinx reported at nine o'clock, with much better grace than he had suspected himself capable of exercising. What she taught him of tennis on the royal courts, in the presence of an amused audience, was as nothing to what he learned of strategy as it can be practiced by a whimsical girl. Almost before he knew it, she had won exemption for Baldos, that being the stake for the first set of singles. To his credit, the Count was game. He took the wager, knowing that he, in his ignorance, could not win from the blithe young expert in petticoats. Then he offered to wager the brass candlestick against her bracelet. She considered for a moment, and then— in a spirit of enthusiasm, accepted the proposition. 
After all, she coveted the candlestick. Half an hour later, an orderly was riding to the fort with instructions to return at once with Miss Calhoun's candlestick. It is on record that they were love sets, which goes to prove that Beverly took no chances. Count Marlinx, puffing and perspiring, his joints dismayed and his brain confused, rode away at noon with Baron Dangloss. Beverly, quite happy in her complete victory, enjoyed a nap of profound sweetness, and then was ready for her walk with the princess. They were strolling leisurely about the beautiful grounds, safe in the shade of the trees from the heat of the July sun, when Baron Dangloss approached. "'Your Royal Highness,' he began, with his fierce smile, "'may I beg a moment's audience?' "'It has to do with Baldos, I'll take oath,' said Beverly, with conviction. "'Yes, with your guard. Yesterday he visited the fortress. "'He went in an official capacity, it is true, "'but he was privileged to study the secrets of our defense with alarming freedom. "'It would not surprise me to find that this stranger "'has learned everything there is to know about the fort.' "'His listeners were silent. The smiles left their faces. I am not saying that he would betray us. No, no, protested Beverly. But he is in a position to give the most valuable information to an enemy. An officer has just informed me that Baldos missed not a detail in regard to the armament or the location of vital spots in the construction of the fortress. "'But he wouldn't be so base as to use his knowledge to our undoing,' cried Yetiv seriously. "'We only know that he is not one of us. "'It is not beyond reason that his allegiance is to another power, Dawsbergen, for instance. "'Count Marlanx is not at all in sympathy with him, you are aware. "'He is convinced that Baldos is a man of consequence, "'possibly one of our bitterest enemies, and he hates him.' For my own part, I must say that I like the man. I believe he is to be trusted. But, if he be an agent of Volga or Gabriel, his opportunity has come. He is in a position to make accurate maps of the fort and all our masked fortifications along the city walls. Beyond a doubt, the Baron was worried. Neither am I one of you, said Beverly, stoutly. Why shouldn't I prove to be a traitoress? You have no quarrel with us, Miss Calhoun, said Dangloss. If anything happens, then I am to be blamed for it, she cried in deep distress. I brought him to Edelweiss, and I believe in him. For his own sake, your highness, and Miss Calhoun, I suggest that no opportunity should be given to him to communicate with the outside world. We cannot accuse him, of course, but we can protect him. I came to ask your permission to have him detailed for duty only in places where no suspicion can attach to any of his actions. You mean inside the city walls? asked Yetive. Yes, your highness, and as far as possible from the fortress. I think it is a wise precaution. Don't be angry, Beverly, the princess said gently. It is for his own sake, you see. I am acting on the presumption that he is wholly innocent of any desire to betray us. 
it would be easy for someone high in position to accuse and convict him said dangloss meaningly and it would be just like someone too agreed beverly her thoughts with the others going toward none but one man high in power later in the day she called baldos to her side as they were riding in the castle avenue she was determined to try a little experiment of her own baldos what do you think of the fortress she asked i could overthrow it after half an hour's bombardment your highness he answered without thinking she started violently is it possible are there so many weak points she went on catching her breath there are three vital points of weakness your highness the magazine can be reached from the outside if anyone knows the lay of the land the parade ground exposes the ammunition building to certain disadvantages and the big guns could be silenced in an hour if an enemy had the sense first to bombard the elevation northeast of the city good heavens gasped poor beverly have you studied all this out i was once a real soldier your highness he said simply it was impossible for me not to see the defects in your fort you you haven't told anyone of this have you she cried white-faced and anxious no one but your highness you do not employ me as a tale-bearer i trust i did not mean to question your honor she said would you mind going before the heads of the war department and tell them just what you have told me i mean about the weak spots if it is your command your highness he said quietly but was surprised you may expect to be summoned then so hold yourself in readiness and baldos yes your highness you need say nothing to them of our having talked the matter over beforehand unless they pin you down to it you know end of chapter fourteen